Well, we are rounding out our series on the truths of Peter, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't look at a, a really important theme from Second Peter, and because he makes some really remarkable and powerful statements. And so let's read this together. Actually, we're going to start at the end of this passage, but um, in Second Peter 1, in verse 10, he says, Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Wow. That's, that's a big statement. But then verse 11, it says, For so in a, an entrance shall be ministered, uh, ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So an abundant entrance into the kingdom, not just an entrance, an abundant one. Wherefore, Verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in present truth. And so these are some pretty powerful statements, right, that uh, can speak to us. I mean, that that if we do these things, we will never fall. I want that. That's a good one to get a hold of. Lord, if I just do these things, I'll never fall. I'll never, you know, turn away or fall from, from the position you want me to be in. To have an abundant entrance, a glorious entrance into the kingdom of God. And because of that, Peter says, I, I will not be negligent in reminding you of these things. He'd already told him, but he, he was saying, if I don't tell them again and again and remind them and keep it in their mind, I'm negligent. Sometimes you feel like, you know, you keep saying something, you're pestering. But Peter's saying, well, no, I'm going to pester because I would be negligent if I didn't remind the people of God of these things so that we are established in present truth. We looked at that last week. Established, strengthened, settled last week, yeah. Established in these things, in present truth, and in the truth that God has given to us. And, and so he's, I, I'm reading the end here because he started off by listing eight qualities that God wants to put within our hearts and our lives to develop within us. And so basically he's saying, if these qualities or characteristics are adding, added to our lives, we will never fall. Instead, we'll have an abundant entrance into his kingdom. And Peter actually makes uh, another claim about these characteristics. In verse 8, first Peter, or 2 Peter 1 and verse 8, he says, for if these things be in you and abound, right? Not just in us, sometimes they can be in us, but you know, you can have a you know a little fruit tree with one or two apples on it, but you want it to be full because you want to make some apple pie and you want you need a lot of apples. If these things abound in you, then you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is saying, if we focus on developing these qualities, they will greatly contribute to our level of fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. And that's important, right? Because in the Christian life, if there's one thing we know Scripture is saying, 
is that Jesus is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. I love fruit. That's one of my extravagances. Is, I, you know what? I have to confess to you an extravagance lately is cherries. Normally, I look at cherries and, you know, off season are like $5 a pound or something, but they've gotten lower. They're still expensive, but I've been getting cherries and I love it. I like going to the grocery store and you see a bag of cherries that looks ripe. But if I went into that grocery store and those cherries were not ripe, I would be very disappointed. But, you know, that's an illustration that Jesus is coming into our lives greatly desiring good, ripe fruit. And it brings him such joy. You know, we, we probably all have a fruit that we, we don't care for as much or a fruit that's our favorite. And we go looking for that fruit because that just sounds so good. And it's a joy to us when we find it. And so we, we see from Scripture, Jesus is looking for that fruit. Of course, that great chapter on fruit is John 15. And in John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus even gives us the ability to produce it. He's doing all the work for us. We just have to be fertile ground to allow it to grow. And so his purpose is that we would abide in him as branches abide in the tree, uh, using a little bit different analogy. We, there's probably not a lot of vine growers around here, but we can, a lot of trees. That branch growing in the tree, it's got to be attached. It's got to be receiving life. Then the fruit can grow. And so we need to abide in him to bear much fruit. Also in John 15 and verse 16, it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Uh, you know, that's pretty significant. Jesus said, you haven't chosen me. I mean, we have chosen him in the sense that we've declared him as our Lord and Savior and said, Lord, okay, I'm going to follow you. But really, he's chosen us, not just to bring us as a sheep into the fold, but he's chosen us to go and bear fruit, to be fruitful. And what kind of fruit? Eternal. Because it is fruit that will remain for all eternity. It's to last. You know, Jesus came to his chosen people, Israel. This is like the illustration we talked about. He came looking for fruit. Unfortunately, he didn't find it. And, you know, that's an example and a warning to us. You know, it puts the fear of God in us that he came looking for fruit. And it kind of shows us that this life is a choice, uh, an opportunity for God to work in us and to develop what he's looking for. All right, we already read about the, the great blessings. If we allow him to do that, we won't fall, we won't be barren or unfruitful, we'll have an abundant entrance. But if we don't do that, he gave us that other illustration where he walked up to that fig tree. And, you know, we don't have a lot of figs around here. We get them once in a while. And, and so sometimes we, it, 
you don't acquire a taste for figs like they did in the Middle East because they that's native to that land. But you know, I've had a, I've had a couple of good figs, and so Jesus was looking for some good figs. He was hungry for that fruit. And you know, the story from Mark eleven as he goes looking for the fig the fruit from the fig tree, and and that's a picture of a of him coming in our lives and looking. And he was coming to Israel looking for that fruit and he couldn't find it. The the tree was barren. It didn't have anything. And so he said in Mark 11 and verse 14, he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Yikes. And the next day, the disciples were walking past that tree and they were amazed because it, it, it must've looked like a nice tree. Must have had leaves and, you know, look like, well, at some point, maybe it'll grow fruit. But Jesus came saying, your time for fruitfulness is now. In fact, it just passed. And the next day it was withered and gone. And so that's a, there's a warning in that, that story for us. Is that there's a time when Jesus comes saying, I'm looking for fruit. In fact, Peter in his message, gives, gives us that, that sense of that warning. And back in, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 9, he says, but he that lacks these things, these qualities we're going to look at, he that lacks them is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He that, that neglects to develop these qualities is blind. He can't see the need. He can't see into eternity to see what God is looking for. Because in reality, he's cleansed us from our sin and he saved us for a purpose that we would be fruitful. And if we're not fruitful, then we've missed out. We've fallen short. John 15 graphically illustrates that, right? Scarily, is that a word? Scarily illustrates that? Fearfully? John 15 and verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There it is in, in black and white. Well, it's in red actually in your Bible. Every fruit that does not, every uh, branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. And so if the, the, Branches are not fruitful. They're taken away. And verse 6 says they're in the fire. They're consumed. But those that bear fruit, he lovingly and carefully trims them and causes them to even get more life from the vine, from the tree, so that it can bear more fruit. Are we motivated yet? (laughs) Are we, you know... (laughs) You know, walking before God in fear and trembling that we can please him. Well, Peter says, really, the simple thing is that, well, simple, simple to understand anyway, is that if we focus on these eight qualities, he says, you will not be unfruitful. In fact, you'll be abundantly fruitful. So that gets our attention, especially after what Peter says about that. And so let's look at this together if we could. Should we look at them all today? Do we have time? I don't know. We'll we'll look at a couple. 
So in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, let's just read this list of eight aspects of being fruitful. It says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And so, kind of starting off with this list, he starts at the, at, I won't say the bottom, but at the, at the beginning, at the very start of our journey with Christ. It starts with faith, right? Faith is the foundation with, for everything in the Christian life. Without faith, we can't please God. So that's where we start, you know, accepting him as our Lord and Savior and then beginning to hear his voice and uh, live according to his word. Romans 1.17, for therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In fact, that was the verse that awakened you know, the eyes of Martin Luther that kind of started the Reformation, so to speak. The just shall live by faith. We are to live by the faith of the Son of God and not just a level of faith, but from one level to another to another. Jesus said we're to live by every word that is continually proceeding from the mouth of God. It's an ever-increasing faith. And that's the foundation of the Christian life. That's the pathway. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but in the sense, it is the foundation. But, you know, you don't look out in neighborhoods and see very many people living on the foundation. Do you? No one's pitched a tent on their foundation and said, I'm, I'm good with this. I'm, I'm happy. I'll re- this is my retirement foundation. I'm just going to live here. But no, we build upon our foundation. And so Peter's admonition to all believers is add to your faith. He doesn't kind of dwell on that because he's talked about faith and the development of that and walking by faith and our faith being tried and so forth that we've looked at. But instead he says, okay, you've, you know Christ, so you've come to faith, now add to it. And he says, add to your faith virtue. And so let's look at this for a minute. Virtue. Virtue in the original language, it means a moral purity or a goodness. And so we are to add to our faith a purity, a goodness, as we walk with God and And so it's one thing to receive faith from God, but the Christian life can only continue when we start to walk in the good ways of God and to take his goodness upon us and when our life starts to reflect his goodness. You know, the world is okay with us calling ourselves Christians as long as we adopt its impure ways, right? It has no problem. You're a Christian, oh, okay, as long as you live like me and you don't condemn the way I live, I'm fine with that. But as soon as we start to say, look, God is pure, he's good, that's the differentiating factor, isn't it? And that's where we have to start on that road that leads upward, is virtue, moral purity. Because if if it's the lack of, 
the lack of moral purity will destroy the work of faith, our power and our testimony as believers. You know, that was Samson's problem, wasn't it? He had so much going for him. He had the anointing. He had power. He had ministry. He had position. But he could not get a hold of virtue in his life, moral purity. It was, you could say that was a void place, an empty place. And Satan came in and filled it. So he didn't add virtue or moral purity to his faith, and it it just about destroyed it. Well, it really did destroy him. He got back a little bit at the end. God gave him opportunity. But, you know, moral purity is not a very exciting uh, topic. You know, you don't see a lot of big name sermons on moral purity, virtue. It's looked down upon by the world, but not by heaven. I think it's one of heaven's most exciting topics in that sense, because that's what heaven is. Heaven is pure. Now, there's a related thought that I think is kind of a funny thought in this Greek word. It's in the sense, and I'm not making this up, but Strong says it also means manliness. Wait a minute. Moral purity, virtue means manliness. Now, I realize it's not very politically correct to say manliness. Someone's manlier. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, it's, there's that uh, sense of being a man in that. You know, one thing is, is where God was talking to Job and setting him straight. And at one point he said, Job, stand up like a man. Job, be a man and face me. And open your heart to what I have to say to you. Now, how does that translate into our lives, right? Because we can say, be, you know, obviously there's ladies here, so we wouldn't say be manly, but we'd say there's things we have to face and to do. Well, how would that translate into our lives? I was thinking of the prophet Daniel and in the midst of Babylon, which is getting more and more real to us. And in Daniel 1 and verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. And you could say Daniel, he was, he was being a man of God, stepping up to that place and doing what it took to be a man of God, to do what was right before God. And, and, you know, that's kind of what this word is meaning. It's a sense of action, doing what it took to please God, even when it's unpopular. And that was a very unpopular position Daniel took, but he, he did it. If only Samson, you know, you think a picture of him, like, I mean, that's a picture of manliness, right? Strong, he could rip gates off, and, but he wasn't manly before God because he didn't put on virtue and do what God desired of him. And so there's that aspect of adding to our our faith is standing up for what is pure and what is right before God. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, we have to add to our faith virtue, to be people of virtue. One more in our list. Knowledge. The next thing Peter lists is knowledge. 
know, knowledge is something that abounds today. Um, Daniel actually prophesied of that, right? That knowledge, people would go to and fro and knowledge would abound. I don't have my phone up here, but right, I enjoy having knowledge at my fingertips, right? It's not that the knowledge is all up here. It, it's in my phone, right? But I can look it up really fast. And that's kind of a nice thing to be able to do. Um, but I think we can understand that's not really what Peter's talking about, having a bunch of knowledge. Paul said in, in Romans 2 and verse 20 that there's some who have a form of knowledge. And they made themselves out to be great instructors, kind of puffed up. And he actually talks about that elsewhere, that knowledge puffs up. So there's people that have the form of knowledge. But Paul in Romans 2.20 is saying, you have knowledge, but you need to become students again and learn what knowledge is really about. Because their knowledge wasn't born of faith. They weren't combining it with faith. And so there's a knowledge that comes by faith, and that's the difference. Right? There's a knowledge that we can obtain from God that can only come from Him by meeting with Him, by learning of Him, experiencing Him in the situation, from walking with Him, hearing His voice, understanding His heart, Hebrews 11 and verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were created, were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen, which are seen, were not made of things that do appear. You know, the knowledge of the world is based on what is observed. No one believes it unless they can observe it. Right? And and you're when you're considering science and you know, those kind of things. That's not a bad principle to have, right? You don't want science that's not observable. And, you know, otherwise you can make up whatever you want and say it's science. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's only through faith that we understand. And so our understanding has to be added by faith and not just, right, that knowledge that comes from the word of God, but that experience of walking with God. You know, we can read his word, but it's when we walk with him according to his word that we really come to know who God is. True knowledge comes through a relationship of faith with Christ. And that knowledge really matters in life. It really matters in our walk with God. And in Hebrews, or Hebrews, that was the last one, Ephesians 3 and verse 19 really kind of shows one of our main goals in life is Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Our goal is to come to know Christ, to know his ways, to understand his mind and heart to the whatever measure we can in this life but it's to know him. And, and that is what surpasses the mere knowledge of this life, right? We can, we can know everything Google knows and it's not enough. But when we know Jesus, it's more than enough. It's what we need because that's eternal. Google shall pass away. What we experience in Christ 
is eternal. And it allows us to come into the fullness of God. You know, normally to obtain knowledge, we have to do a lot of research, right? We read books, we go to the internet, we thoroughly research it. But this kind of knowledge that we're talking about goes beyond a book, right? Even the greatest book of all, the Bible. My iPad keeps floating. Sorry, I'm holding it up by by my Bible. And so, you know, obtaining this kind of knowledge goes beyond a book. It starts as we experience what is written in the book. You know, God deeply desires that we could experience him, experience walking with him, coming to know him by trusting what is written in his book and walking in it. You know, you get that sense that God is looking throughout all the earth for those who would trust him enough to walk in the things that he said in his word. Because that's really where the difference lies, right? We can read it, we can believe it, but the difference comes when we walk in it and we experience him. It takes time, it takes dedication, it takes faith. To walk with him produces something so wonderful. One last verse. Daniel 11.32. And I think this really speaks to where we are. Well, the context is the Antichrist. We're not quite there, but the Spirit is working out there. Daniel 11.32 says, But such as do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt, he meaning the Antichrist, he shall corrupt by flatteries. But the people who know their God... That's what it comes down to in this day. The people who know their God shall be strong. They'll do mighty works. And they that understand will instruct many. Those who know God and who understand him. That's what matters. And so knowledge is power, right? And, you know, I mean, I think everyone would agree with that. But what we're talking about is that that relationship of knowing him, getting that knowledge from walking with Christ. That's where true power comes when it comes to his kingdom. True power in the kingdom of God comes, comes by knowing and experiencing him as we trust in his word and as we walk in it. Well, we only got through three of them. Otherwise, we'd be here for another, another bit. But, you know, they are the, the way, as Peter says, that we can have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. They can give us assurance that we will never fall from walking in God's ways. And if we add these things, if we add these things to our faith, they put on a protective covering of the, of the, of the good ways of God, you know, of the knowledge as we, as we seek that knowledge of determining to walk in God's ways so that we can know the love of Christ. It surpasses all knowledge so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us in this life to come to know you and to add these things 
to our faith. Lord, we just cry out to you that you would give us that heart. Lord, that we would have eyes to see in eternity what you want to give to us, what matters to you. Lord, help us, Lord, to add to our faith, Lord, what is pure and what is true in your sight and to walk in that. Lord, help us, Lord, to seek to know you in a new way, to know you each day, Lord, that 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 power could come into our lives from knowing you. Oh God, lead us in your way that we could have an abundant entrance. Lord, that we would be fruitful and that we would hold steady for you, we ask. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.